Welcome to the Healthcare Business Secrets Show, where we interview industry leaders and break down exactly how they're dominating their markets so you can learn from the best and can double your revenue, double your impact, and double your time off. In this episode, we're talking with Martin Cook. Martin is a serial entrepreneur who's co-founded a software company, built multiple seven-figure e-commerce brands, and co-founded a high-level digital entrepreneur mastermind that hosts luxury meetups around the world. Martin's latest project, New Brew, a cognition drink, is on a mission to fortify 1 billion meals by 2025, helping to tackle the problem of malnutrition that 2 billion people experience worldwide. Martin's also the host of the Smarter Destiny podcast, uh, has spoken from stages around the world, and still somehow found the time to self-publish two books. Welcome to the show, Martin. Thanks for the introduction, James. Great to be here. Dude, you are crushing it. It's it's awesome to see. And, and before the show, we kind of talked about this idea of your businesses need to pass the, the the laptop on a beach kind of rule. And and I love that. I love that idea that, you know, not that you're necessarily going to go and do the classic entrepreneur Bali thing or, or whatever, but the fact that you can run your business from anywhere is is important part of your purpose and how you set things up because then you can have options. So give us a little rundown on your background, like how did you get to this point where you got all these different things going on? You're starting businesses and masterminds and things left, right, and center. What what kind of keyed you off into the entrepreneur space, and what's been your progression? Sure. I mean, when you asked like how did you get to this place, I was my my immediate answer was failing a lot, right? Like, mm. um, you know, you can fail ninety nine times and succeed once and 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 do great in life, right? And uh, mm. it, I think the difference between entrepreneur and not entrepreneur is how many times you're willing to pick yourself up, you know, from the dirt and just keep going, right? It's it's yeah. at some point it's a little bit sadistic, but uh, or, you know, all that self pain. But um, I mean, my my journey began when I was fourteen. I learned how to design because there was a girl in my class who was a designer and I thought that would impress her. So I thought, oh, if I can learn how to make websites and uh, use Photoshop and so on. Uh, it didn't work. It, it failed terribly, but it did give me a little bit of a gateway into the internet and uh, mm -hmm. designing things on a computer and then eventually putting those designs on the internet, like as websites, and then using those websites to sell things. And and that led me down, down a path. I was very lucky in the early days of Facebook to jump on the building assets train, if you like, uh, figured out that uh, it was actually, if you put yourself in the right groups and hung out with the right people, it was um, quite easy to acquire very, very large Facebook pages back in the day when there was no edge rank, you know, none of that annoying little algorithm that stops your fans that want to see your stuff from seeing your stuff. There's none of that. And uh, pages grew very, very fast. As a result, I bought a lot of pages, sort of spent all my spare cash on those and got to the point where I had 20 million fans across the hundred or so Facebook pages that I own. You know, on, a, on an average day, I was talking to more people than my shows or TV shows. And, and, and that taught me a lot about talking to people en masse and predominantly how you can't make them happy. You cannot make everybody happy. Don't even try. Uh, you're better off making the people that really like you or really resonate with you really happy and, and, and letting the other people sort of filter themselves out. So, and be, but, you know, I had a, a reach surplus and a product deficit. I, I could reach mm. a lot of people, but I had nothing to sell. And that really led the sort of graduation into, right, I've, I've got the traffic. What, now, what can I sell? What can I um, offer that adds value to lots of people en masse and, uh, you know, makes some money, pays the bills? And uh, that sort of saw me into affiliate products and then Teespring selling print on demand, which is a really nice gateway drug type, type uh, e-commerce because you're selling printed apparel, but you don't have to fulfill it. You don't have to typically manage the customer service and so on. And then went on into the big boy leagues and, and launched 
a bunch of e-commerce brands. Some did better than others, had a few nice exits. Some of that led to building software. And yeah, it's been a, a heck of a time. I, I'm an open book, Jay. I'll, I'll talk about it. Like what it. year was this? Like, give me some context of what year this was. Like, when did this all kind of kick off? 2000 and what? So in terms of the Facebook side of things, the Facebook mm, pages and stuff, yeah. Probably around 2008, 2009-ish, somewhere around then. It's quite early on back then. I think I think, I think everybody would agree it was sort of the early days of Facebook. Mm. But that was kind of, we, we did that for a couple of years. And what we would do in the early days is we would drive traffic. I say we, I mean, me, right? Uh, dr- drive traffic to uh, uh, websites that had really entertaining image galleries on them, but also had AdSense advertising. And so we'd drive a lot of people to these AdSense-powered sites. A certain number of them would click on the ads, I'd get paid. And then that was great. And I thought, right, to scale this, I need to find more people with more traffic. And so we partnered with some of the largest Twitter account holders um, around the world and built them sites and did rev share deals uh, with with them on on these sites that we built for them and we managed and they just sent a tweet which would crash servers you know six thousand people in thirty seconds kind of kind of level you know it's good fun it's, it's really interesting because I was probably beginning chiropractic college can't even think, I can't even do the math right now I got a two month old for those of you who don't know and you don't know uh, I got a two year old two month old and so yeah. um. Uh, a little bit sleep deprived, but I graduated chiropractic college around 2013, 2014. I kind of really started, but it's a five-year process. So around that time, I was kind of getting into this world. And, and I was at that point where I was like, I need to figure, like I'm, I'm always been business driven and, and I loved helping people in it, but I got into what I was doing because I grew up without much and believed that I needed to have things to be happy and the classic thing, right? So I'm going through this stuff and I'm, and I'm realizing, well, I got to get clients. I got to, you know, because we had a student clinic. I'm trying to use the internet and figure things out. And so I'm just online on the internet, watching all this stuff all the time. And uh, everyone else around me thought I was crazy, but I'm like, man, I need to start a Facebook group, pages, things like that. And I remember seeing this stuff, like when Facebook, the golden age, where you could just have a fan page and people would see your stuff. And, and I see it with new social platforms now, and I still miss the boat. But it's like TikTok, for example, blew up. Snapchat when it was uh, a bit more of a player. Things like that. And and you look at these things and we re- always realize that now is always the golden age because in 10 years, we're going to look back and go, damn, man, I wish I had have done A, B, and C. I wish I had spent more money on Facebook ads, right? I think the, the what was it? Amazon was a top spender of Google ads at the time. And now yeah. Amazon's massive. Wish bought loads of Facebook ads when they were super cheap. And then they, I don't know where they are now, but they were massive. And it's, it's the same thing. We, we're seeing things happen, but we want to watch before we jump in. I remember the Teespring and looking at fulfillment of t-shirts. People still do that now. They run ads to, you know, April is the best birth month, blah, blah, blah. And like people buy these t-shirts. It's hilarious. So your natural progression came from, I've got eyeballs, but I've got to make products. And then as I'm making products, I'm realizing what's working, what's not. And there's obviously a lot of tripping and falling and failing going on there, but that you just kind of kept going. What kept you going through that? Because a lot of people, they fall, they graze their knee, they go, oh, I should stop running so fast. And then they do it again. They go, oh, I'm going to stop running altogether. Whereas I think those of us who are successful, we scrape our knee and we think, awesome, I'm going to go faster and just not do that again. So what kind of kept you going? throughout these failings, so to speak, before you started crushing it? 
I think that's a great question. Um, you know, is it the carrot? Is it the stick? I think in, in no small way, it's the pain for working for another idiot. That, that kind of, I mean, in, t- in terms of the stick, right? Like I, I've done the nine to fives. I was my very first nine to five. I worked in a fish and chip shop and pizza restaurant. I've made probably thousands of pizzas from scratch, just dough. And I'm a foodie. So I love that. And that was a great gig. And then I worked in this insurance broker place doing names and addresses and that was just painful right and and i think i think that was certainly a oh i really don't want to do this for the rest of my life and i don't understand why i have to wear a suit even though i'm not meeting clients i don't understand why this company thinks i'm at my most productive between the hours of nine and five i don't know why they think i'm at my most hungry at 12 o'clock um for lunch right and so there's a lot of sort of questions that came up that entire time like this is weird this is really weird to me so i think that sort of said right i'd rather i'd rather figure it out i'd rather make the rules and um failure is not not really scary you know it you 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 either succeed or you learn i think that's Mm. that's what you're saying about the the knee scraping i think it's just having an idea of where you want to get to. And, and I don't actually mean an idea. I mean like a really friggin' clear mm. laid out plan. This is where I'm trying to get to. And, and I actually split my life into, I think it's six or seven different pillars, but you've got your health, you've got your family, you've got your relationships, you've got your money, you've got your various different business projects and so on. Right. And I'm really understanding yourself, right. We're taking some time to reflect. This is where I'm trying to get to. This is where I'm trying to get to in 12 months or five years. And then I'm going to work back from that. If I'm going to get to here in a year, what do I need to do? What are the 12 steps to that goal, right? Okay, so there's my monthly goals. Now, what are they, What can I do on a daily basis to get closer to my monthly goal? And when, when you start looking at it like that, it's less scary and and more achievable. And I mean, I did the same thing. First time I grew, grew a brand to a million dollars revenue, we did it in its first 90 days from launching. So day naught, no no money, day 90, a million dollars revenue. And that, again, it was looking at it in terms of, wow, a million dollars, that's that's scary AF, right? We can't mm. do that. All right, let's break it down. Okay, so 90 days to a million, right? That's that's roughly a third of a million per month. Okay, right, divide that down by by 30, divide, you know, and, and, and you can get, okay, that's, that's much more manageable. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I approach it. I think it's a great question. I haven't really sort of gone why. Is your, is your seven areas thing, is that a Tony Tony Robbins thing, by the way? Because uh, we're doing something similar at the moment where he talks about that, is, is understanding like what are the areas of your life and then what are your clear outcomes in those areas. And I think it's important because we don't look at this stuff. We just, we think about, you know, money, maybe our health a little bit, definitely don't think about our relationships, but understanding that they all compound with each other to ultimately produce who we are and therefore what we can achieve if you if you put a whole lot of gas in your car but you don't put air in the tires then you're not going to go anywhere it doesn't matter what quality gas quality engine anything if there's no air car's not going anywhere so i think people sometimes forget that that it's it's all of the components all the time working together is what lifts us up and you can't just do the one and the irony for me is 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 i've realized that you know i was getting up at three four in the morning doing sales calls uh, building my programs then I would go to clinic at 8 a.m., see clients, come back for lunch, do more calls, go back to clinic, come home, spend a little bit of time with a family with a new baby and a wife who's home all day, breastfeeding and struggling with all of that sort of changes, not wet, sleeping at night and then starting over again. And it works in the short term and I'll outwork anybody. Like I'll bleed at the fingertips and keep going. But long-term success can't be built from that. It has to be a balancing act. And I always find that the, the, 
the top people that I bring on the show, like yourself and the, the masterminds that I'm a part of, everyone thinks that, you know, you're going to learn these tactics. How long should my videos be? What should I do with my ads? Blah, blah, blah. And ironically, most of the time we end up talking about like, how do I sleep better? Uh, how do I have more energy? How do I get bothered by stuff less? Because we start to realize that at the core of all of our successes ourselves, being able to to continue to move forward irrespective of obstacles and then eliminate those obstacles rather than it being a strategic tactical thing. And, and the best example of this, people who struggle versus people who are successful is, I think for me is I, I look at Facebook ad comments and the people who are just talking absolute crap about this is a scam or that doesn't work or this or this, and they're looking at strategic individual things and they have the time to spend to do that really tells me that they're not looking at the things that matter. So I think that when we're caught in a spiral, it's like, and some people listening to this will be caught in some of those spirals is look at yourself first and start to lift all of you up. I think that's the the lesson in this. I think there's a, there's a difference between sort of working day to day and building things for the future. And I think that's the difference between money and wealth, uh, if you like. It's So now, and, and this was a pivot probably seven or eight years ago, I pivoted to thinking more long-term and building things that may have no value uh, really and, and, and really just be a cost in the short term. But when they flourish, if they flourish, if they if they blossom and bloom, will be very, very valuable. I mean, take my podcast, for example. So the Smartest SQ podcast, you kindly shouted out in your in your intro. We've had some incredibly successful guests on the show, right? Some 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 people I, you know, I'm honored to call friends now. And that that show, right, started just as as nothing, right? It just started as a very, very painful expense, lots of editing, lots of time, you know, very few listeners, right, at the beginning. And but you say, right, my goal is to build something big. It's going to take some time. And that's now a, a very, very powerful asset that I love doing, right? And, and, and love recording the, these shows and love the feedback from, from the audience. And so sometimes looking out into the future a little bit, medium term, long term, right? What can I, what can I do today? Right? I've got, to, I've got to cover the bills, of course. I've got to keep the lights on this month, but let's try and get that out of the way. Let's try and figure something out, build some kind of asset, whether it's if you're selling services, let's close a couple of high ticket calls and get that nailed out of the way by the third of the month, right? Let's get that out of the way. Bills are paid. Now let's focus on building some medium and longer term assets that will continue to pay in the future. And if you can automate those out in the future by putting a team in place, putting software in place, uh, running an 80-20 on efficiencies, even better. Now you can run more of them and you can keep building these assets which will produce for you. And, and, and for me, those assets are typically business. I also, with the software company, have um, a number of SaaS software as a service products, which, which are fantastic as well. But it, it's typically business and, 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 and building those kind of assets, building relationships, building networks, but really now trying to focus on where can I bring value without any kind of concern about getting that value back? Because mm. if you've covered your day-to-day, you don't really need any value now. You can just focus on giving, helping, and just just be confident it will come back. Worst case scenario, if it doesn't come back, you've helped a bunch of people. You can sleep well. Yeah. You can die well, right? Like, you know, it's great. The irony with that is, is 
when you're more purpose-driven, you're leading with value, you ironically receive more value back because you're building it for the right reasons and people can feel that. And because you're focused on getting them better outcomes, the whole business grows. Like when people are always saying, I want to make more money, I want to make more money, you're pursuing money, you're not going to get it because you're chasing the wrong thing because it's not money that gets you money, it's value that gets you money. And I, I really like that. That's what we've been doing a lot lately is focusing purely on the value. And this show is an example of that. There is no end game with this other than to provide value because I know that when people are exposed to that value, they can make better decisions for themselves. And because I know that what we do works, it just inherently leads to let's have a conversation versus focusing on any kind of sales process of constantly pitching things. It's lead with value. Just make sure you've got that asset behind it that can leverage it. And like you said, cover your bases. I think that's good. I think that's really good. When you were doing what you were doing, you were, you were driving traffic, you were getting eyeballs and you started making products. You obviously started in a low ticket space. You were starting with smaller things and then you started to realize, what if I started to build brands around this? Is that right? You're selling other people's products or products that you didn't even have to deal with to then starting probably creating some of your own and, and now making brands. What's been your biggest lesson with that in terms of the e-commerce space versus say going into a coaching space or doing the affiliate thing? Sure. So it comes back to building building assets, right? So one of the things that that I figured out with Teespring now, um, we sold thousands. I mean, hundreds of thousands of of t shirts, right? I have no idea what the if you're calculating the revenue, what that would be, because they just pay you your commission, right? You never really see see the sort of sales numbers, but what I realized was I was building someone else's business. So Teespring in this case, for example, and and we worked with some other companies that are similar to Teespring. And so you're not building an asset, right? You you turn off the ads, you turn off the, the, the eyeball attractors, and there'll be a little bit of a halo effect, but eventually it will die down. I still get sales from Teespring, which is great because there's some t-shirts up there, but we're not talking a lot, right? But when we pivot to building a brand, and, and this is so, why I'm so bullish on, on brand. When you build a movement where you're very, very clear about this is what we stand for. This is why we're doing it. This is who we help. This is who we are. And you hold yourself and your team, and you hire, literally hire based on, on, these, on these values. When you hold everybody accountable to that and you're consistent with that, people gravitate towards you. And that is really valuable. So take Nubru. Like we have a mission. Our mission is to fortify 1 billion meals by 2025. As you said in your introduction, there's 2 billion malnourished people in the world right now, right? which is about a quarter of the world, by the way. It's significant. Okay. And, and those people don't have basic nutrition. So we said, well, do you know what? One of our missions, like our, our most public facing mission for Nubru is going to be to fortify, which means adding essential nutrients to the basic food that these people are consuming, we're going to fortify 1 billion meals. Okay. And we did it like that rather than just sort of saying a percentage of revenue or or something like that. We wanted to make it quantifiable. And so we're able to say to our customers with every single purchase, we will fortify the meals of at least one child for at least a year every single purchase. And so now they're like, okay, I get it. I get it. If I buy this, I'm going to get this this great product that helps me, tastes awesome, and is a game changer, right? Our customer's words, not mine. 
but at the same time, I'm also going to uh, indirectly help someone that, not the moment at least, has a chance of being able to afford Newbrew. They're concerned with not getting something that we would consider fairly insignificant like diarrhea because it could be life-threatening, hmm. right? They haven't got the basic nutrition. That's what they're concerned with, right? They might have internet, right? They might have internet in their area. They might be getting internet in, in their area. And that's great, but they won't necessarily have the time to be on the internet and do their research and improve themselves and maybe get some qualifications, maybe go on to cure something significant like cancer, right? Because they're focusing on staying alive, which is ridiculous. And it, it, I don't mean it's ridiculous to them. I mean, it's ridiculous that we're in a world where there is such a polarization, there is such a difference between the developed and our customers and myself. Like, nutrition's fine, right? Nutrition's absolutely great, you know? I'm looking at how I can extract the extra 1% out of my brain. Mm. And there's people who are like, hope I don't die today. You know, and, and, and so that's, I can't even remember what your question was, but that, that is uh, the difference, the brand. So the reason we pivoted to brands is you're building an asset, right? You're building something. A, a brand is a valuable asset that people gravitate towards. We could shut off our traffic and we have customers that love what we do, love our product. They've made it a part of their daily lives and they'll come back and they feel good purchasing from us because they know they're going to get the benefit and they know they're going to give benefit right and that and that's kind of the difference and so the pivot to brands was part of that realization of let's not build someone else's business let's build our own business where we can also control what we're doing it for and we're not doing it for money we're doing it for a much larger purpose and if you're ever unsure about where you're going and whether your direction is a direction you want to go to, I would recommend doing the gravestone test. As morbid as it sounds, ask yourself, what would you like written on your gravestone? And probably your answer won't be, here lies Steve, millionaire. I made lots of money. <laughs> it probably won't be that, right? It'll be great father, giver, philanthropist, and so on, right? Whatever it is for you. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, that's my, uh, soapbox answer there for you, James. That's so good. That's so good. And the, the people listening to this, uh, generally speaking are very driven by what they're doing and they were in it to, to help people because that's what most of us get into some kind of healthcare, especially the alternate space for, as we had an epiphany, a realization an experience that we now want to perpetuate this into more people's lives, not because we thought this would be a great business decision. And we fell into business because we didn't want to work for people and or we wanted to have more control or we thought it was the only way of doing it. And so what we're doing with bringing people like yourself on is that people can hear these sorts of things and use it to make their businesses better because we're not inherently business people. We're practitioners who are in business rather than being in business and then trying to, to figure the rest of it out. So I think branding is an important part, especially when you've got a, a message and meaning behind it, not what your logo looks like and what your name is, but the culture of what you're doing. I think that's to me what, what brand is. Now, what made you have this realization to switch to, to developing assets and brand? Was it because it was an epiphany and you realized, Hey, like I need to build a brand or was it, because you got burned and you realize this sucks and I need to have an asset behind me. I think it's once you get past the point, it's like Mavlos hierarchy of needs, right? You, you get past the point where shelter is, is your main focus, which, which, you know, in the, in the 
developed um, countries means you know having enough money to to meet your rent or your mortgage payments, right? That's that's your shelter. And then you go a little bit past that, and you kind of, unless you're you're very very extravagant, you're kind of ticking the boxes of the sort of gadgets and gizmos and shiny objects and things that that you would like, and and you're living a comfortable life. And I think. I think there's a, a diminishing returns the more money you make. So, you know, rough rule of thumb uh, here in the UK, it might be that the impact of getting past 20 grand a year to 30 grand a year would be life changing. To go from 30 grand a year to 50 grand a year is like, eh, I'm a little bit more comfortable. To go from 50 grand a year to 100 grand a year, you're like, I've got some more investments. And so, when you get past those points, and I think really you should be thinking about this as soon as possible, even before you're at those points, you start thinking about, right, what's the meaning? What am I doing? What's the bigger purpose? And, uh, and what's the value? How can I help? How can I make an impact? How can I build something I'm proud of? How can I leave a legacy? How can I demonstrate to my family, friends, peers, and next generation how can i start living a higher life living a a a more purpose driven impactful life and that's a realization which i think for those where it happens sooner they will naturally feel more fulfilled sooner uh, rather than chasing money but if you're chasing money to to sharpen your axe and to learn the trade and to learn you know to build the tools and 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 get the get the understanding and get the failures under your belt. That's absolutely noble, fine, and everybody's been there, myself included. But if you can make everything you do deliberate because you have a plan for it, it's it's just a lot more fulfilling and it's a lot more purposeful. Going back to the podcast for a second. So um Smarter Destiny is the name of the podcast, and it's also the name of the brand, right? Which includes two books, the most recent ones, 1% Secret. The mission of Smarter Destiny is to build, an, and this is a little bit less specific than Nubru, but still relevant, is to build an army of enlightened entrepreneurs. Okay, Now, in, in the book, I define what an enlightened entrepreneur is, and not, not hitting the bullets exactly, so, so, so summarizing a little bit. An enlightened entrepreneur absolutely has a responsibility to make money and to be successful. But an enlightened entrepreneur has an absolute responsibility to leverage that success, reach, wealth, to make the world a little bit better than they found it. So as a result of their time on earth and all the effort and energy they put out there, the world is slightly better at the end of their journey than at the beginning. So it's like the opposite of any cigarette company. Right. So the more impact they have, the more customers they have, the worse the world is, the more lung cancer. Right. The opposite of that, the flip side of that. Right. And so what we're doing with Smarter Destiny, a bit like yourself, James, is we're educating our audience who are typically obviously entrepreneurs, but typically serial entrepreneurs that have been there and been around the block a lot more. And we're educating them and giving them the tools and giving giving them access to these amazing entrepreneurs and founders that they can leverage and, and, and become mentees of, right? And they can sort of have an audio mentor right in their ear every single week. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to arm this 
army of enlightened entrepreneurs and teach them to have a purpose and to have that drive to make the world better with their success, right? Absolutely enjoy life. Absolutely. But also use a little bit of that success and that wealth to just do some good because with New Brew, we're going we're gonna to make an impact and, and, and we're doing great things. But if we could have thousands and thousands of people all with the same mission, we're going to make so much more impact. And, and that just feels, <laughs> on a basic level, that just feels much better than I made a squillion dollars today and I've got no friends. Yeah. And I think that <laughs> part of why I feel so successful these days, even though objectively nothing has changed, relative to even a couple months ago, so to speak, in my lifestyle or even if a business has grown, that's not what the measure is with me, is realizing that I'm winning when I go up and I'm winning when I go down because I'm always just winning. And for me, that's been a psychological shift. An acceptance of where I'm at is really, really good. And anything more is just always really good. And anything that I'm doing is always really good. I get to work from home. I get to go and see my babies. I get to do whatever I need to do and and serve them and create legacy. But at the same time, the impact that I'm having with the people that I'm working with on them and their communities. And because they're health professionals, if I help you get more clients and you help those people, because I only work with people who help people, then by extension, I've helped them. You know what I mean? So there's this, this flow on. What it's really come to for me is I've detached from the outcome. If I'm already winning and whether I make more money or or help more people today or not, I don't feel anything necessarily extra from that. I've stopped this roller coaster of up and down and it's happened because I've realized the purpose in what I'm doing and I'm feeling a sense of purpose and so I'm feeling empowered no matter what my bank account says that month or the number of sales that month or any of the business aspects. Those are ways of tracking things but not defining what I'm doing. And so to your point, I think that understanding how to gamify your own success, your own happiness is what I've done to get me to where I am and and experience that contentment and joy with what I'm doing. And I think that when we start to look at business that way and, and take those principles, and even if, see, see, I'm okay with somebody being a dick at heart, but creating change that's meaningful, even if they're just using it to make themselves get better because then by extension, people are getting better. You know what I mean? Uh, I feel like I feel like that's an okay trade-off because otherwise the alternative is they're just going to be a dick and, and not help anybody else. And so for me, it's like, let's gamify our success by focusing on the purpose and, and the meaning behind what we're doing and using that to get up in the morning and push harder because it's the self-fulfilling and self-feeding machine now that's creating good while also helping us to to push harder so for me stick in the carrot is a great one um i like to dangle things in in front of my face that uh, are meaningless and i could get it tomorrow or today but i don't because the poor and broke kid in the back of my mind looks at and goes oh that'd be great i'm all over this new dji fpv drone like it's a drone that you wear like a a thing and you can fly around with it. I'm like, man, that's amazing. It's like 2000 bucks. Like I could just go buy it now. But I'm, I set this little carrot in front of my face of if I can bring in this people or I can help my clients get these outcomes, or I can, it's like gamifying it for me to move forward. And I think that that sort of stuff is okay, especially when I'm not a cigarette company, as you said. If I'm a cigarette company, maybe I should change my model a little bit because I'm only creating pain. I think that most of us get into it to create outcomes. I just think, and good, I just think that we don't realize how powerful that can be for our own success and momentum and really using it 
at the forefront of our brand as a business development thing, because by extension, it's naturally creating good. And I think that that people don't use that. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, we, we talked about the making money day to day to live, you know, hand, hand to mouth to cover your bills at the end of the month and, you know, reset, start again. And I think the same can be applied to creating good. I think it's wonderful that you and and your your clients help people, right? Cracking backs and 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 curing pain. I mean, wow, there must be so many people that are like, oh, like, wow, it feels so good to just be able to sleep well tonight because I'm not like awkwardly twisted and and in a lot of pain. But what if you could do more than that, right? Like, for example, like with charitable initiatives, what what if with every time you've done an appointment with your client and, and cured their pain, you also planted a tree on their behalf. Now I'm using a tree. I think that would be a fantastic cause, but I'm using that as a little bit of a, a sort of cliche example here. You plant that tree and that tree is going to give oxygen for hundreds of years in the future, right? And it's going to pull a certain amount of carbon out of the atmosphere for hundreds of years. So now you've built that, if you like, it's like wealth, right? Like you've, you've built, built an asset there or created an asset that's going to do good every single day, whether you're looking at it or not, whether you're paying attention to it or not, right? And then you'll have a little forest that's grown and that forest is a reminder of all the people you've helped, but that help goes on and helps and helps and helps and helps. And so, you know, I've seen that with a lot of sort of charitable initiatives. I've seen plastic being removed from the sea for example, is another great initiative. Donations towards carbon removal is, is a fantastic one. And what, should, what I actually recommend to anybody that's interested in this, and by the way, your customers, and, and I'm, I'm, I realize I'm sort of oversimplifying things when I say the customer that's just had their back cracked, right? Um, that's the most, uh, that sound is the thing that I remember most, right? When, it, when I go through it, they will feel better and may well choose you as their helper of choice compared to the other options that are out there that they can find with a Google search, if you've also got a mission and they also know that this guy's a great guy and he's going to help me and he's well-reviewed, but he also gives a shit about X, Y, Z, and this is his mission. And he's going to, in this case, in this example, plant a tree on my behalf after the appointment, a small tree or, or whatever it is that you can, you can afford and, and you work out. So your conversion rate might go up. You might get more inquiries. Your customers might be like, do you know what? He said something that kind of annoyed me, but he can't be that much of a dick because he also cares about the environment, right? And, and so what I recommend for anybody that's looking to explore this and the conversion rate boosting bump and the, and the happier customers and the customers that feel good because they're, they're doing good and, and really all they wanted to do was get their back cracked, is I recommend going to sites like givewell.org. And there's a few of these kind of sites that rank charities by the real good that they do in the world, by how much of the of the, the donation actually goes to the cause, how important that cause is it to the world. So it's a charity where the money goes to the cause, okay? So it's not like one of those charities with massive overheads and actually most of your money is just going into the managing director's pocket. It's a charity that actually is significant to the world. Like, uh, you know, mosquito nets preventing people from getting malaria and, and mosquito-borne illnesses, as opposed to a charity that's set up just to repair flip-flops that have broken when you're walking down the beach and, ah, oh, my flip-flop's broken, damn, and they, they repair it, right? It's not particularly 
important in the grand scheme of things. So these sites are really, really good for helping you find, like shortlist the causes that you might care about and then pick one. Pick one that feels good to you and is important to you and implement it in your business and become an enlightened entrepreneur as a result. One one uh, company, I'm not sure if you've heard of them, it's be one, g one, buy one, give one. And they have a, a similar philosophy in terms of who they choose to be part of it. But the way that they set up and, and we're involved with it is that if, let's say it's an appointment. So let's say you're a nutritionist and you work with clients who've got diabetes, let's say. For every appointment you have, you can have it automatically set up with their system to track the number of appointments you had and therefore the number of purchases of whatever charitable thing that you're choosing. So then it can auto deduct from your account and you can say, we had 100 consults this month. And because of that, we fed 100 children in the country or we provided nutrition to, because you can you can use it to, to gamify your clients, gamify your success, your team, but you can automate it where you're purchasing individual units. So for example, an optometry practice can purchase, uh, let's say, glasses or eye surgery to kids in, in, in some place for example, because you can select which charity, which thing, and which unit, one tree, or whatever. Um, and I think that's something that's, that we've been doing in, in other ventures that we're part of, is setting this up to be able to give that forward immediately. And it's surprisingly cheap to make this stuff happen. You know what I mean? You can feed someone for, for next to nothing because of how these charities work. They're not making a chef-made gourmet salad that costs an exorbitant amount. They're able to do it in bulk and provide nutrition value um, very, very effectively, for example. So these are definitely things that I think are incredible ways of of showing what you care about more than just delivering the service. Because like you said, people want to be attached to a movement. That's why people connect in Facebook groups and connect under conspiracy theories or connect under, you know, whatever. It's because they're, they're connected by the identity of the group and, and the beliefs that come with it. And they want to partner with that. And when you've got your brand set around a core set of beliefs that you're actually not just saying, like we fight for value, but then you're not actually doing anything about it, but you can show that you're actually doing it. Like it's not a, if we make so much money, I'll do some stuff. It's like, it's part of the transactions that are already happening in your business. Uh, I think that's a powerful, powerful movement you can create. Dude, this has been such a good show. So many things that I think that that all of us should really be thinking about more in our businesses for building brand, building the business, but also being enlightened as entrepreneurs and, and giving back. Uh, where's a way that people can connect with you online? Absolutely. So uh, LinkedIn would probably be the best bet. Um, I'm not typically on Facebook. I, I'm not I'm not so active and, and, and fairly tight with, I'm trying so hard to keep that as the one social network where it really is just friends. Um, but <laughs> LinkedIn's a great place. Instagram, if you search smarter, I think it's smarter underscore destiny, you'll find me on Instagram. I do have a Facebook page, feel free on, on, on that one or LinkedIn by name, or you can email me, uh, Martin, spelled the weird old fashioned way at smarterdestiny.com. And uh, yeah, it goes through to me, not an assistant, it goes through to me. I love, I love the emails and you know, if, if, if something has impacted you on this show or if you've got any questions um, or you just want to say hi, then, you know, reach out. You know, I love, I love these conversations and, and love any opportunity to, to help, right? It's, uh, it's fun. Amazing. Thank you so much, dude. I'm going to make sure that all that's in the show notes as well as where people can check out some of the things that you're doing. New Brew, for example, I think is awesome. Um, and uh, your podcast as well. Thank you so much. Yes. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the show. If you like the episode, please hit subscribe and leave us a review. 
I'd really appreciate it as it helps us get our episodes out to more people just like you who want to know how to increase their revenue, impact more people and build businesses that work for the lifestyle they want. Now, I know your time is valuable and I know that you are here to learn the secrets to success in your health business. So I have something special for you just for checking out the episode. Now, if you're a health professional, coach or trainer in business, and you're serious about growing a profitable, impactful business, then pay attention because as a listener of the show, I want you to win. And so I've created a host of resources available exclusively for listeners of the show. So if you're tired of trying to figure out this game of business, marketing and sales all on your own, and you're ready to just implement what's already proven to work rather than reinventing the wheel, I want you right now to go and check out healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. That's healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. And there you'll find over $5,000 worth of trainings, resources, and coaching available only for listeners of the show. Again, that's healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. There I'll give you resources on everything from how to acquire 10 times more of your ideal clients using social media and paid ads, even referrals, how to increase your client conversion into packages at an 80 to 90% conversion rate like me, how to retain your clients for longer, getting them better results and making them happier, how to increase your prices and charge a premium to work with you and how you can build a six, multi-six, even seven-figure practice just like I did but with a tenth of the time and a tenth of the effort. What I want you to realize is that everything I teach comes from exactly what I did to have success and still have success in my own health business. And I wanna share that with you so you can have success too. So go check out healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider right now and let me help you win big in your health business. Also remember to subscribe for two episodes every week full of the secrets to have success in your health business as well as leave us a review so we know what you thought of the show. And I'll see you on the next episode.